This podcast is brought to you by ReformationSites.com, church websites for a modern Reformation. Hear more at the conclusion of today's program. Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count, with Carl Truman and Todd Pruitt. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Welcome to Mortification of Spin. Uh, I am Todd Pruitt, uh, pastor of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Virginia, and I'm joined as always by Carl Truman, professor at Grove City College in Western Pennsylvania. Now, today, uh, one of the things that Carl and I have chatted about a little bit in recent weeks is uh, the phenomenon, which has really been getting a lot of attention over the last couple of years, this phenomenon of uh, Christian deconversions. And Carl, you and I have texted back and forth a couple of times over the last few weeks about the latest well-known Christian deconvert who is um, Abraham Piper, one of one of John and Noel Piper's uh, sons. And his story runs a little bit uh, interesting. He had uh, kind of departed the faith when he was around 19 years old. Um, About two years later, he returned and uh, was blogging about that, had spoken on the matter, had written about it for various places, you know, in his return to the faith. And sometime, I don't know when, but sometime after that, he deconverted again um, and has actually made quite a a showing of it. Uh, He's had several articles written about him on this. I believe the Wall Street Journal wrote an article on him as well as some other major sites, because obviously his father is well-known uh, an enormous influencer among conservative uh, Christians. Um, and so for the son of someone so well-known to be so public about his deconversion and not just public about his deconversion, um, Abraham Piper has been, I think he has around a million followers now on TikTok. Now, Carl, I expect that to be, mean absolutely nothing to you. Um, but, <laughs> I'm, huge, uh, I'm hugely impressed, whatever that is. It sounds tic- amazing. Yeah, TikTok <laughs> is a social media platform, you know, where people post videos. And Aren't the Chinese using it to spy on us or something? Something think, like that. I've, yeah, I've seen exactly. Something about it in the newspaper. It hasn't so. gone well in that respect. Yeah, but yeah. but but Piper's up, Abraham Piper's up to around a million followers on this, and he's just doing video after video, really mocking. Um, evangelical Christianity, and uh, and so it's it's caused a lot of publicity, obviously, to come uh, his way. Just on a side note, uh, Abraham is a millionaire. Uh, he, uh, if 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 you're online and you you know the uh, uh, the twenty two words uh, w- website, well, that was originally Abraham Piper's site. He sold it for millions of dollars uh, several years ago. It's just an entertainment. Uh, site, but um, but now he's he's very public in his deconversion and mocking Christianity. Of course, this follows on the heels of other famous deconverts. Um, a year or so ago, uh, there were um, a couple of uh, YouTube celebrities uh, 
named Rhett. They go by the names of Rhett and Link. And again, Carl, I don't expect that to mean a whole lot to you, but they, they, they're, they they're sound internet- like a second rate country and Western. <laughs> they're they're, they're uh, not that they're like these humorous. Okay. You know, they do this humor stuff and, and, you know, entertaining stuff. And they, and they developed a huge following on YouTube to the point where they're worth around $25 million. Wow. And they both used to, when they were younger, they used to be on uh, staff with campus crusade for Christ. And they've both went through this deconversion and they've been on Jimmy Kimmel, uh, the late show with Jimmy Kimmel talking about this and, and that kind of thing. So they have lots of young followers. And so obviously people were concerned about the influence because, you know, they're very skilled communicators and they say things that that would be very persuasive to someone who's not very discerning, which happens to include a lot of evangelicals, obviously. So these things are are going on and they're getting lots of attention. And of course, the media is more than happy to feature former evangelicals, you know, conservative Christians who who now have rejected the faith. That's great fodder. Uh, for uh, for the mainstream media at this point. And, and before we get in any further, I do want to differentiate between the fact that there are people who, who reject Christianity or reject evangelicalism for reasons that I think we can sympathize with. Uh, you know, we think about people who have been abused by a pastor, for instance, sexually abused by a priest or a pastor, and, and they punt the faith. Now, we don't want them to punt the faith, but we can certainly sympathize as to why they would. Um, you know, various victims of predatory people or individuals in their church. Certainly, we want to deal with them gently, try to restore them, try to restore their confidence in the gospel and in Jesus Christ, knowing that they've been legitimately abused and and wounded by people that they should have trusted. So there's that kind of a of a deconvert which you which we want to deal with in a very particular sensitive sort of way. But but I'm I'm addressing more now what what one writer recently referred to them as country club deconverts. Meaning the the several folks I just mentioned, they become celebrities in part for their deconversion. Their deconversion seems to make them more popular, get them more followers, and they seem to be cashing in on it quite well. And and their stories of deconversion, Carl, are not, you know, I had a pastor who sexually molested me for five years, and I can't trust God anymore, all of which, all of us who who would be heartbroken for that person. That's not their story. Their story is, um, I can't, you know, go along with a church that that hates my LGBTQ friends, or I can't believe in a God who would send anyone to hell. These are their stories. And it's as though they've, you know, were manipulated by their church to believe these awful things about other people, you know, that people are going to hell. I, I have an ongoing uh, conversation with a guy in a local coffee shop. He's a, a professor at a very well-known university um, in Charlottesville, Virginia, and uh, he's a Marxist, but was raised by parents who were Christians. and. For him, one of his points of departure, he said when he was 12 years old, was that he could not believe in a God who would sentence anyone to hell. You know, So these are deconverts who, they just hate Christian doctrine. We think of Tony Campolo's son, Bart, who's a humanist chaplain, and he began departing from the faith as a teenager over the LGBTQ issue. He had gay friends, and he didn't want to have anything to do with a God. Um, who would have a problem with his gay friends, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, as we think about that, Carl, first of all, I just wonder, you know, your thoughts on the phenomenon 
of these public deconverts who are very interested in broadcasting their deconversion. What does that tell us about them, perhaps, and about uh, us? You know, this desire to celebritize our yeah. our deconversion. Well, I mean, the first thing it tells me is I'm in the wrong job. I mean, why work for a living <laughs> if you can earn a million from producing mindless what are they, TikTok videos? TikTok. Yeah, uh, and and twenty two. You know, I mm-hmm. I can't even think in sentences of twenty two words. They <laughs> make money out of it. So, no, but seriously, I, I think a couple of things come to my mind when when I. I look at this. First of all, just commenting on the the Abraham Piper situation. Mm-hmm. I think the saddest thing for me about that was, you know, the hurt and pain this would be bringing to his parents. Yes, I mean it's one thing for a child to lose their faith or not follow in the footsteps right. of their parents' faith. It's another thing for them to broadcast it to the world. And right. when I was reading and seeing that stuff, my my immediate thought was, do you not have any respect for your parents? Right, because. Okay, I bet that, like me, John Piper was not a perfect dad, mm-hmm. but I bet you had a good, up, better upbringing than an awful lot of people in America. Yes. I bet mum and dad stayed together. I bet mum and dad loved you. I bet mum and dad cared for you to the mm-hmm. best of their abilities. And this is how you pay them back? Yeah. Nobody's saying that all that care means that you should agree with them and everything they said, but mm-hmm. come on, man. This yeah. is this is despicably disrespectful right. of your parents. So exactly. that was my first thought on that kind of context. And there's no way, Carl, that he does not know. Yeah, the, he, he's a full-grown adult with four yeah. kids of his own. Yeah. He knows how this is gonna how this stabs them in the heart. So your point. Yeah, is well, can only imagine right. Thanksgiving at the Piper household right. will be a, a tense time. And yeah. you know, and I, as I said, I. I, when I, I think it was the New York Times, not the Wall Street Journal, mm, actually, mm, Todd. Mm. But um, as I read that article, I just felt sorry for the parents. So yes. they don't deserve this. Right. Regardless of how wrong-headed he might think they now are, they, they don't deserve this. Um, I was thinking, you know, what, what strikes me about this is the performance aspect. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think back to the guy who wrote the Icus dating goodbye. Oh, Josh Harris, another Josh famous Harris. deconvert. You know, yep. The, the, it's striking to me the, the public performance aspect of these mm-hmm. deconversions. I remember many years ago reading a comment by the, the late critic Edward Said on a book that was published, I think, in the, the early 1950s entitled The God That Failed. Mm-hmm. And it was a, a collection of essays by people like Arthur Kerstler, uh, Richard Wright, uh, people who'd been communists right. and had abandoned communism. And, you know, I was very sympathetic with the abandonment of communism. Mm-hmm. But Said's comment was interesting. He said, you know, what made these people think that they were so important, <laughs> that their story <laughs> of abandoning communism was going to be that important and that interesting? Well, they were all substantial intellectuals. You know, the the list of names of deconversions mm-hmm. These are not particularly substantial people. And why on earth would uh, Abraham Piper or Josh Harris, why on earth would they think that the personal problems they've developed with the faith would amount to a major metaphysical problem for me <laughs> when I'm thinking about Christianity? Right. Uh, and so I think that you know, part of my problem is, and I think uh, Doug Grutaus, Doug Grutaus wrote a, a response to uh, Abraham Piper, yes. where he essentially said, your cocksure, flippant dismissal of Christianity wrestles with none of the big problems right. that the great thinkers of the faith have wrestled with. Okay, you know, maybe you were badly taught by a hipster pastor somewhere mm-hmm. down the line. Maybe you read uh, an awful book 
on theology that really isn't worth the paper it's written on. Right. But how dare you abandon the faith right. on such superficial and trivial grounds? And so that brings it round to it interests me that these are public performances mm. because at the end of the day, there's no sense of tragedy in these deconversions. It's not that the right. world was enchanted and it meant something and now it's bleak and empty. That's, that's a tragedy. Uh, no one would celebrate loss of faith like that. Yeah. So it's not a tragedy. And secondly, it's a public performance, as you pointed out. Mm. It enhances. It doesn't. It doesn't cost to abandon right. the faith. It right. enhances mm -hmm. their public profile. And thirdly, uh, as you also hinted, it generally takes place in a narrative form. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a sense. I mean, you've said somebody who's been badly abused by a priest or a pastor who then rebels and turns against Christianity, you have all the sympathy in yes. the world for somebody who's been treated that way and has turned against it. But it still doesn't make the faith untrue. Exactly. Far less is the faith made untrue by, to put it bluntly, a bunch of idiots who haven't <laughs> read the best book on the subjects they're rejecting, yeah. who decide that, hey, it doesn't work for them anymore, so it can't be true for anybody. Yeah, exactly. I, I find this whole phenomenon self-indulgent, and it works because we live in a self-indulgent age mm -hmm. where stories, not arguments, carry weight. Right. You know, that, that, uh, that bit that Doug Grutheis wrote on social media, which was powerful mm -hmm. um, in response to, to Abraham Piper, you mentioned the fact that he, he, his, his, his justifiable indignation over the fact that that the, the the faith would be dismissed on such flimsy ground in arguments that the church has had answers to for 2000 years. And uh, one of the things that has been so common among these country club uh, deconverts to quote uh, the writer of a particular article is that they keep saying things like, no one in the church could answer my questions. No one could answer my questions. No one could answer my questions. Well, perhaps that's true. Maybe they went to a youth pastor to ask a, a, a deep question, a, a, an intellectual barrier they had or a moral uh, conundrum they had in regard to, to trying to fit the pieces together with Christianity. And that youth pastor or that pastor botched, you know, answering the question, or they just gave them the right answer and they didn't like the answer. But the point is, is again, so, so you abandon the Christian faith with a billion adherents around the world because a particular guy didn't give you the answer you like to a particular question. Now that's a trivial thing. I mean, to, to it, which leads me to conclude there's far more going on than just that. You don't abandon the theory of gravity because somebody you encounter can't explain it well to you. You don't abandon um, medical care when you need it because you encountered a bad doctor or somebody explained a particular procedure poorly. There's something else. There's a desire to want to leave. And I, I, and I think I've mentioned him before, Michael Shermer, who is um, the editor of Skeptic Magazine, and he's a man of science, he's a brilliant guy. And, in a, and he was raised in a Christian home. It was in college where he abandoned the faith. And he said, very honestly, he said, uh, one of the things that drew me to atheism is that I liked the way they lived. I preferred the way they lived yeah. to yeah. the way that, you know, the expectations I'd had on me as a child in a Christian home. Well, I appreciated his, his honesty. Uh, Thomas Huxley said the same thing, uh, you know, a hundred years earlier, you know, the man who was Darwin's bulldog said, I, I, I preferred the life of of the atheist 
Yeah, and I mean, the Bible's very clear that that's, that's what's going on. I mean, Romans mm -hmm. 1, suppressing right. the truth in unrighteousness. Exactly. Now, that's not to belittle the fact that there are serious difficulties and problems that can be raised about the faith that require serious and substantial problems. Mm -hmm. And I would, I would suggest that to any Christian faced with a young person or, or an older person coming to them and asking them a substantial problem to which they don't know the answer, right. don't give a bogus answer. Right. <laughs> Put that person in touch with somebody who can exactly. speak to them. At Grove, I get kids coming into my office and saying, you know, how do I tie this together with the theory of evolution, for example? Mm -hmm. To which my answer is, hey, I'm a historian, man. I'm not a scientist. You you need to talk, you need to go and talk to one of the scientists who's actually worked in this area, who can give you a good account of the kind of science that you are wrestling with at this point. So I think right. it's it's important to realize that not all of us are competent to give, well, none of us are competent to yeah. give answers to all of the questions that come. You know, that's a great point you raise. Um, uh, I, I remember hearing um, Albert Moeller talk about his childhood. And of course, you know, Al's one of these kind of polymath sort of guys. And he has been, I mean, uh, the, the joke that some of his friends say is that he started carrying a brief briefcase when he was 12 but you know when he was a, a a young 12 year old 13 year old something like that he went to the pastor of his little church in fort lauderdale and was asking some pretty probing insightful questions his pastor did a wonderful thing for him his pastor felt a little inadequate on a couple of the questions he reached out to d james kennedy and uh, uh took uh Moeller to see this young D. James Kennedy, who was who was really getting into apologetics at that time. And D. James Kennedy gave gave young Moeller a couple of books from Francis Schaeffer. And, uh, you know, do do those kind if you don't feel equipped to answer a, a hard question. Well, there are resources out there available to you to help that person. And also to realize if somebody's asking you a very heavy duty um, existential question or metaphysical question. Um, they they shouldn't expect to get a quick answer either. If they're really interested in this, if they're truly struggling with this issue, then they need to be willing to sit down and maybe read a good book that answers some of those things. They shouldn't expect you to sit to, to be able to sit down with you or me or anybody else and get a five minute explanation which solves all the mysteries of the problem of evil in the world. You know, they need to be able to sit down with people who've thought through this and written about this substantively. Yeah, and I think that should play out actually for pastors as well. One of the one of the comments I remember when I was pastoring was a, a young person in the congregation once said to me that there are times when I was preaching when I would say, you know, I'm not quite sure what this verse means, or you could take mm -hmm. it in, in one of two ways, and I don't know which way to come right. down. And, and she said to me, I know that you're being genuine, and I know that you prepared properly when you actually admit in the pulpit that you don't know the answer <laughs> to everything in the passage. And I never yeah. thought about it that way before. Yeah. It was just something I developed over years of teaching in the classroom. I learned pretty early on. Uh, you don't have to pretend to know the answers to mm -hmm. everything. Right. Uh, it's better to be competent mm -hmm. and admit the, 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 the bounds of your competence than to present yourself as omnicompetent and, and come a cropper, or even worse, from the pulpit, end up fundamentally misleading people. Yeah. So I do think there's an element here that that pastors and elders should not beat themselves up to thinking that if you know if somebody comes and asks you a question and you don't know the answer, that doesn't necessarily mean you're a bad person or right. you're failing in your job. It just means you don't know the answer. Exactly. The key thing is to uh, to to push uh, somebody else, mm -hmm. push them in the direction of somebody else who does. Exactly. And and to and to talk with the person, ask them some probing questions. You know, is this a person who is struggling 
with a with a legitimate question that maybe you yourself struggled with when you were younger in the faith or that kind of thing? Or is this a person who just doesn't like the fact that the Bible says what it says about, for instance, homosexuality? You know, if, is it just really coming down to that, mm-hmm. that a person just cannot accept biblical sexual ethics or or that sort of thing? And and, you know, you you, you still you want to deal patiently with that person, but their, their problem is not going to be solved by you, you trying to, to, to sort of uh, put together a new kind of Christianity for them. You know, that yeah. was part of the project of the, of the emergent movement back in the nineties is we're going to kind of reimagine Christianity so that those that don't like what Christians have always affirmed um, can find a, a place within Christianity. Yeah. And that, didn't work out very well as either. Let me ask you this. Um, there, there, uh, there seems to be an evangelistic zeal behind a lot of these deconverts. So for instance, with, with Abraham Piper, I was reading through his Twitter feed in, in some of this stuff. And he said, you know, he, he went on and on about how great Bob Dylan is and how Bob Dylan is basically his religion. Um, and he said, but it would never occur to me to, to expect my children to have to think the same way about Bob Dylan as I do. And of course he was making the connection there that, you know, parents shouldn't expect that. But what's interesting, and he even did a TikTok video on this subject where he said, it's a colossal waste of time to try to get other people to believe what you believe. And yet he's produced literally hundreds of videos trying to persuade people to believe what he believes. Now that's an enormous uh, lack of self-understanding, first of all, but there is this there is this desire of the deconvert where you want to say to a guy like Abraham Piper, you know, I hated the fundamentalism I was raised in, hated it. And yet he's really just exchanged it for another kind of fundamentalism, hasn't he? Yeah. And that's an interesting phenomenon. And I think it goes down to the question of what's it all about. And if it's about drawing attention to yourself and public performance, I mean, again, Josh Harris was a classic example of this, that he writes this book, uh, I Kiss Dating Goodbye, that he then decides is a bad thing and has screwed Mm -hmm. a lot of people up. So rather than doing what I hope I would do in that situation, and is that be utterly ashamed and want to just disappear, Mm -hmm. uh, he turns it into a marketing opportunity. Turned it into a documentary film. He's now, you know, (laughs) making a documentary film, slamming his earlier self. Well, it's hard not to get cynical about these kind of things yeah. and think that at the end of the day, the only constant in this is your self-promotion. Mm-hmm. And the position, the metaphysical position you hold is merely a product that you yeah. can you can sell it, this one, this year, and this one, the next. And I think that's a, a, real, a real problem. Yeah, definitely. And, and I would just say for parents out there who, who maybe their, their child has been wandering or maybe has punted the faith. And we see this, you know, you and I have talked a lot about uh, the, the current issues over gender and the, sex, the new sexual revolution, that kind of thing, and how it's really becoming kind of the main point of departure for a lot of Christian young people. And so we, we've got parents that are struggling with this and wondering, you know, did I do something wrong? Is this why my child has, has left Christianity to become a quote deconvert? Uh, you know, that sort of thing. And I, w- I would say, Certainly, there are things that we as parents can do that help to bolster, obviously, you know, faithfully catechizing, being a a consistent role model for them. No parent is perfect. We're all going to fail. And most of the kids I know don't expect their parents to be perfect. Um, but, but a consistent, a faithful, you know, over the years, a faithful model for the kids, having them in a, in a church where they're loved and where the gospel is made known and the word is preached well, all of those things will mitigate against 
apostasy, but none of this is a guarantee. And, and we know that, you know, as reformed believers, we know we, we, the Bible gives us a category for apostasy, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. We know that this can happen. We want to employ best practices. We want to be faithful. We want to teach well. We want to catechize well. But, you know, Hebrews warns us, the history of Israel warns us that apostasy is a real thing. And so, you know, again, we want to pray for our kids. We want to be a good model for them. We want, we want our homes to be places where they can raise questions and struggle with stuff and that we'll struggle with them through those things. Be patient with your kid. It may be if they've got questions about their faith, they're not trying to be a smart aleck. It may be that they really do have a struggle. And part of the way you love them through that will be a great witness um, to their struggles. I mean, Carl, you have two kids. I've got three kids. We know what it's like to see them at various times struggle and just how we remain patient, how we keep moving towards them in relationship in the midst of their struggle is part of how I think the Lord keeps them tethered to himself, even when we mess up as parents. Yeah. And I would add, just as we're sort of bringing things to an end here and wrapping up, I would also add that having a home and a church environment where kids feel they can ask questions is important. It's, it, you know, well, I have little sympathy with these public deconverts. I also think that every now and then, yeah, somebody hits the nail on the head when they said, well, I never felt I could ask that question right. in my church because people would immediately have thought there's a problem. Or yes. and, and I want to say to pastors and to parents, just because your kid is struggling with an issue or just because you have a congregant who asks a question doesn't mean that's where they are and they're about to right. apostatize. It may mean they're genuinely struggling with these things. And particularly, exactly. you, you've mentioned sexual issues. I think an awful lot of young people who want to be faithful to Bible, mm-hmm. Bible's teaching are struggling with exactly what the Bible says on on, on these right. kind of things, not because they're bad people, but because the power of the culture is so yes. strong. It's hard for them mm-hmm. to get to grips with these things in the way that it was comparatively easy for people in our generation. Exactly. So there's no one size fits all here, but I would say uh, just to encourage pastors and parents out there, try to create an environment where, or try to cultivate an environment where the asking of questions is acceptable mm-hmm. when when you're asked a serious question give a serious answer don't just you know go away and pray and read your bible right. more closely that's not necessarily mm-hmm. the best answer yeah. in in all situations so i would say think carefully about the culture of home and the culture of church relative so that you know, if somebody in your church or your family perish the thought deconverts the one thing they can't say with any credibility is I was never allowed to ask a question. I was never given a serious answer to the questions I asked or pointed to somebody who could give me a serious Mm. answer. Indeed. Yeah. Well, we hope uh, you found this discussion to be a helpful one. Uh, Please go and visit our website, mortificationofspin.org, where you will, A, have an opportunity to donate to the podcast. This is a listener-supported podcast. And also have a chance to win this week's giveaway, which is Surviving Religion 101 by a friend of this program and a personal friend of Todd and myself, uh, Mike Kruger president of uh, Reformed Theological Seminary at their Charlotte campus, an excellent book on really uh, guidelines for helping kids as they go to college Mm. negotiate that all-important move when they leave their Christian home and suddenly they're in the college environment. Lots of good, solid advice on how to survive with your Christianity intact in such an environment. Of course, Mike's writing specifically for college kids, 
but it really applies yeah. to anybody who has to leave their home at 9 a.m. on a Monday morning and go to work into a, a hostile, anti-faith kind of environment. So please visit our website, make a donation, feel free to enter a chance to win the, the book, uh, and we will look forward to being with you next time. That's me in the corner. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. For more on topics like this, visit mortificationofspin.org, where you can find other articles by Carl and Todd, browse the archive of past episodes, and make a donation. We'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin. So you'd like to do more with your church's website, especially in this day and age when keeping your members and visitors informed is so important. Hi, Eric here from Reformed Media. I've developed Reformation Sites as an easy-to-use website platform to help Reformed churches like yours reach out more effectively. With beautiful, mobile-ready designs to choose from, helpful service, and useful features such as Sermon Manager, online bulletins, courses, and notifications, your website will be ready the next time a major event happens. It also integrates with other popular services like Sermon Audio, online donations, and live streaming with pricing that fits into any church budget. Take advantage of this month's special offer of 50% off the website setup fee by using the code 2021 to redeem the offer. The first 30 signups may also receive a free wordmark logo designed for their church. Go to reformationsites.com to get started today or call me, Eric, at 561-900-6886 to explore the possibilities. Reformation Sites. Church websites for a modern reformation.